Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Tuesday night, and you know exactly what that means. It's time for the real conversation with Shayna Thornton. Let's talk America with hosts. Shana Thornton is your radio talk show spotlighting the critical issues of today. She is certain to feature expert guests and celebrities each and every Tuesday night. She is a celebrated newspaper columnist, popular blogger, and award-winning radio talk show personality who has a passion for groundbreaking discussions. Here she is. Let's welcome the one and only, the engaging host for the national show. Please give it up for Shana Thornton. Well, good Tuesday evening to everyone, and welcome to your national award-winning family radio talk show, Let's Talk America, with your host, Shana Thornton. And everyone, of course, I am Shana, and I am so grateful that you have opted to join us live this Tuesday night. It is December the 8th, 2015, and we are already in the midst of the holiday season. I trust you've had a great Thanksgiving and looking forward to the festivities for the month of December and January. Well, if you don't know, you should know that Let's Talk America with your host, Shana Thornton, is your family radio talk show, literally. This show is for every single member of the community. We exclude no one. Of course, that includes you and your neighbor, your mom, dad, and cousin. We offer news talk for real people. Do stick with us, and we thank you for all of the support. Hey, if this is your very first time tuning in, we welcome you, and we're pretty confident that you'll be joining us in the near future again. Remember that we air live every single Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, okay? Well, tonight's show is a very important one, and it's also a full jam. Impact show. We will be putting the spotlight on the untimely death of 17-year-old Laquan McDonald by Chicago Police Officer Jason Van Dyke. We have with us legal expert Beth Karras. She joins us tonight to talk about the case in Chicago and also the very high-profile case taking place right now in the city of Baltimore. We're talking about the death of Freddie Gray. As you may know, they've been dubbed the Baltimore Six, the six police officers that will stand trial in independently and separately. Well, the first officer is on his way to trial. We're going to break down everything that's going on. They've already selected the jury and much, much more. We're also going to touch on uh, recent developments in the Bill Cosby case of the incidents there. So stay with us tonight. We have one full show for you. Now, we're going to switch gears a little, and we are going to talk about dealing with pain after surgery in the hospitals or in those outpatient surgical centers, okay? We're going to have a real conversation with a celebrated surgeon who's going to lay it all on the line. Do stay with us if you're saying, hey, I don't have any surgery planned. We know that often in life, especially when it comes to your health, things come up unscheduled. So stay with us because this information will empower you. We also will be talking about genetic testing tonight. It has changed. If you think it's the same testing from 20 years ago, you are wrong. We have an expert on with us that's going to break it all down, okay? So we're talking about genetic testing in 2015. And lastly, we will present a conversation tonight about 
saving during the holiday season. Of course, many of you may have already started your holiday shopping online or you sit in the long lines in the store. We have a financial expert that wants to offer some great and practical tips for you to save as much money as possible this holiday season, okay? It's one comprehensive jam-packed show, as I promised you, and you're going to be impressed with it, okay? So stay with us. Right now, message all of your family and friends and colleagues and let them know that LTA Radio is on. And speaking of LTA Radio, do hashtag us, LTA Radio, all caps, on your favorite social media site, be it Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or Pinterest, or even if it's Google+. Plus. Let others know that you are tuned in live right now. We appreciate it. Okay, everyone? Well, check us out. We are on right now. LTA Radio is live in your ear. We're kicking it off for this Tuesday, December the 8th, 2015. Let's get it. Our signature in the news is next. Are you considering seeking therapy but aren't sure whether it's the right choice for you? If certain issues have been causing problems in your life and you aren't sure how to make the necessary changes, therapy can help. Dealing with your problems with the help of a professional can help you start on a more productive pattern. While one in five American adults suffer from some form of mental illness, about 45 to 65% with moderate to severe impairment is in treatment. Approximately 111,000 of Georgia youth live with a serious mental health condition. Positive Change Counseling Services is a community health care corporation providing family counseling and human development services to children and families in unserved and underserved communities. Positive Change Counseling Services is dedicated to solution-focused treatment for behavioral and mental health. Community-based organization provides an array of confidential services with specialization in youth, family, and individual counseling. Some of our target solution services include treatment for the following, depression, ADHD, anxiety, emotional health problems, adverse behavior habits, post-traumatic stress syndrome, common symptoms for abused and neglected children, aggression, and stress management. We are a core agency that provides in-home and in-office services through our individuals and group therapy, family therapy, community support services, crisis intervention, as well as diagnostic and nursing evaluations and assessments. For further information on how to start receiving services, please contact Positive Change Counseling Services at 404-298-0888. Please also visit our website at www.pccounseling.org. We need you. If you have room in your heart, home, and family for children in need, we need you. If you can be committed to a child and provide the care and guidance that a child must have to grow, we need you. We need you to give a child a home. There are an estimated 638,000 children who are confirmed victims or child abuse and neglect each year in the United States. In Georgia, 14,418 children came through the foster care system in 2014. There are 200 incidents of child abuse and neglect reported daily in Georgia, and on any given day, about 8,000 children are in the foster care system. So why not become a foster parent? 
New Beginnings Life Changing Network is searching for foster parents that would like to have a chance to empower the life of a child in the state of Georgia. New Beginnings is an Atlanta-based foster care agency dedicated to servicing Georgia's foster children in need. Our agency strives to strengthen youth and their families by providing them with a chance at a new beginnings while encouraging them to make positive life-changing decisions despite their current situation. Becoming a foster parent with New Beginnings is a rewarding experience. As a foster parent, you will have to access support and resources, monthly foster parent training, 24-hour emergency assistance, and in-home case management services. Families helping families. That's what foster parenting is all about. Abused and neglected children in Georgia need foster parents who make a positive difference in their lives. Remember, you don't have to be a perfect to be a perfect parent. We need you. For further information on how to become a foster parent, please contact New Beginnings Life Changing Network at 404-298-0888. Please also visit our website at www.nbn. FosterCare.org. A special thanks to all of our national partners and sponsors. Your support truly is priceless. Thank you for everything. And I'd be remiss if I did not thank our dedicated, loyal weekly listeners. Thank you for sticking with us each and every Tuesday night live at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But also thank you for sharing our great news with family, friends, neighbors, colleagues, and everyone you know. We have received the feedback, and thank you for helping us grow with our audience. It means everything. Hey, if you happen to be interested in reaching out to the show, uh, it's a quite easy to do. Simply shoot us an email at letstalkshana at gmail.com. Again, that easy to remember email is letstalkshana at gmail.com. I send all correspondence there. I'm also including if you're interested in uh, collaborating with us and being a sponsor, okay? We love hearing uh, from everyone out there, especially our listeners. Keep sending us the feedback. Hey, I would love to invite you to check out our brand new website. It's simply www.letstalkamerica with Shana Thornton.com. Again, that's www.letstalkamerica with Shana Thornton.com. There you'll find more information about our upcoming guests, show topics, and information about the team here at Let's Talk America Radio. Do stick with us, and the best way to stay connected is, of course, visiting that website and connecting with us out there on the various social media outlets. If you're on Facebook, do reach out to us. We are out there. And also, if you're on Twitter, if you follow us, we love to follow back. Keep that in mind. Well, everyone, it's time for our signature in the news. And of course, this is where we highlight and spotlight the top trending global news topics. And of course, Let's Talk America Radio is excited to announce that we are now partnering with SCB Channel 182 out of Georgia, where we deliver the In the News with television. So there you have your televised edition of In the News. The best way to check out that television broadcast is simply visit the website again, www.letstalkamerica with shanathornton.com and there you will have a link where you can see all of our televised editions of In the News. Well, we're set to kick it off for this week. It is Tuesday, December the 8th. In the News. Deadly California shooting. Two individuals with guns entered Inland Regional Center in Bernardina, California on Wednesday, December the 2nd, 2015. 
and opened fire on individuals gathered for a work holiday party. Fourteen victims died and 21 badly injured. The two shooters have been identified as Tashfeen Malik, 29 years old, and Saeed Rizwan Farouk, 28 years old. They later died in a police shootout not far from the crime scene. The two were married and of the Islam faith. Investigators have stated that the investigation is still ongoing, but they now believe that this entire horrific massacre is more than likely self-radicalization. It's being reported that the couple had some communication with at least one known terrorist. Neither shooter was known previously as a threat to the U.S. government. In the news, President Obama addresses the nation. President Barack Obama delivered a rare primetime address from the Oval Office on Sunday, December the 6th, to reassure Americans that the U.S. government would protect them from the ongoing global threat posed by ISIS. The speech was delivered shortly after the fatal and horrific San Bernardino, California shooting in which a couple of the Islam faith opened fire on those gathered for a holiday work function. President Obama stated that the U.S. is committed to abolishing ISIS through military action and other means to halt its influence. He did speak of the terror group's social media presence. President Obama referred to ISIS members as thugs and killers. And finally, in the news tonight. It's a baby boy for the Kardashians. He has arrived. Culture icon Kim Kardashian and musician Kanye West welcomed a new baby boy over the weekend of December the 5th. His name is yet to be known, but Twitter has voiced its opinion already. Countless Twitter users have already named the baby Easton. The parents have yet to reveal his official name. The couple already have a daughter named Northwest. Well, everyone, that's it for In the News for this week. Do stick with Let's Talk America Radio, where we keep you informed with the global issues that matter. Again, for more information on these stories or others, do connect with us at our website. That's the best way, okay? I don't want to sound like a broken record, but you can go there by visiting www.letstalkamerica with shanathornton.com. Well, keeping with tradition, we will now go right into our quote of the day which happens to come from Eleanor Roosevelt, who once said, you must do the things you think you cannot do. Again, the quote of the day for Let's Talk America Radio on December the 8th, 2015, comes from Eleanor Roosevelt, who once said, you must do the things you think you cannot do. You know, I'd simply challenge each of you to dream big because you have to be bigger than the moment that you're in. Perhaps you're looking at your current situation and you're not excited, you're not motivated, you're simply not encouraged. But I'm here to simply remind you it's simply a moment that you're in, okay? You can achieve big, you can dream big, you can be anything you truly want to be. You just have to believe it, okay? And once you have that confidence to know that you can do it, you'll take those actions steps to make it happen. I believe in you, and I sure hope that you eventually believe in yourself. Well, everyone, we have one full show tonight. Let's get right to our first featured conversation with the great legal mind, Beth Karras. We are highlighting some very important cases, talking about high-profile cases in Chicago and Baltimore and so much more. Listen in right now, and right now, if you haven't already, message your family, friends, hey, your mom, let her know. It's time to tune in to Let's Talk America Radio. We are live right now. Beth is with us in seconds. 
Hi, my name is Kezia Alford. For more information on my music, please go to keziaalford.com. That's K-E-Z-I-A-A-L-S-O-R-D.com. Or find it online at any digital outlet. I pray that my music blesses your soul. And you are currently listening to Let's Talk America with Jane Thornton. Listeners of your national award-winning family radio talk show, Let's Talk America, it is Tuesday night. And, of course, by now you know that we are putting the spotlight on some recent high-profile cases concerning the city of Chicago and the city of Baltimore, okay? We have with us one great legal mind with us. It's Beth Kara. She's known all over on the media, of course, especially the television tube. How are you doing this Tuesday night, Beth? I'm just great, Shana. Thanks for having me again. Always. You know, we love having you on. We love picking your brain, talking about uh, the legal aspect of so many cases that impact not just certain communities, but everyone um, wherever we are. I want to go straight to Chicago first. And you know this. Uh, the 17-year-old Laquan McDonald uh, was shot multiple times to his death in 2014 by Chicago police officer Jason Van Dyke. I had to ask the obvious question that so many of our listeners want to know. Why did it take so long for this footage to emerge? You know, I, I don't know that I have the answer to that, but I can tell you why it emerged. It emerged because a journalist, a freelance journalist, is my understanding, filed a public records request asking that it be disclosed, and a judge ordered it disclosed. Now... The video had been seen by officials. Mm -hmm. No action was taken against Officer Van Dyke until the eve of the video's release, which is in itself very suspicious, right? I mean, yeah. why, you know, why wait a year? And on the, they wanted to prevent riots from occurring, of course, when people saw the, the, the video, or at least some sort of you know, outrage demanding justice. So they got justice in the eyes of many, by filing murder charges against the officer on the eve of the release of the video. What I find very curious, though, Shana, is that the city settled a civil lawsuit before the family even filed a wrong okay. death suit. They wow. threw money at the family of LaPlan McDonald after well, one of the uh, county officials saw the video. You know, that's sort of the timing. The mayor says he hadn't seen it. They approved the settlement. Others had, and they're like, "Okay, we got no shot." They must have been thinking, "We got no shot here. We just gotta, we just gotta pay him." But that comes to another obvious question, Beth. Well, if it was so disturbing, and, and by now most people have seen the footage, it's very violent. If you have not seen it, you may want to watch it without small children because it is very disheartening. Uh, there are multiple shots, uh, from my understanding, over a dozen, uh, that were put into this young man. He was holding something of a pocket knife, if I'm correct. There had been some calls and complaints that came in. Uh, from my understanding, what's being reported in uh, several media outlets, uh, the police that came on the scene, uh, Officer Jason Van Dyke came on the scene himself. Within a few seconds, he started shooting at this young man. From what I can see on the video now, you tell me if I'm wrong about this, that he was down. The young man seemed clearly physical disabled, and shots continued to fire, Beth. I, I, I guess the first question is, if he's down, why are you still shooting? And why did you show up shooting where other officers had chosen not to shoot? Correct. Well, I think that the that, that command or suggestion that he stopped shooting was happening simultaneous with, you know, unloading his gun and, and I, 
think Van Dyke was going to like reload or something, and his yes. partner or another officer there was like, no, no, you got to stop, you got to stop, and that's what he does. I don't know what's going on in his mind. I know that sometimes like the autonomic nervous system takes over, and you just kind of get fire, and, and you know, you're not necessarily thinking about it. That is not an excuse. No. What he did was over the top because it does not appear that Laquan McDonald was anywhere, but, but he was several feet from Van Dyke. He yeah. sure that he was moving toward him. He was like moving parallel or maybe yeah. even slightly away. Now, PCP was found in his system. Yes, it was. Here was well, from my DA days, what PCP can do to a person. I mean, I know of, of people who were arrested who broke out of handcuffs when they were on PCP or angel dust because you don't feel pain, right? And so you just, you know, you seem to have the super strength because you don't have a pain threshold for okay. attack. But that's not what was going on here. He may have had it in his system and it may have been why he was, you know, carrying a knife yeah. in full view of police officers, but it does not appear that he was in any way. Um, coming at the police officers or threatening them, because we don't know what he was saying, but nonetheless, I don't care what he was saying, he wasn't near them, he was still feet from them. So it's over-the-top of reaction. Now, what I find most troubling, though, is that the police reports, which have since been disclosed, yes. about that incident from officers who are, who are there don't seem to comport with what the video shows. Correct. And that, and those officers who wrote some of the reports, I understand, are now being investigated. You know, Beth, and I don't want to miss over what we're bringing up right now, but I've got to rewind for one second. You mentioned at the top of the segment that there was already a multi-million dollar settlement given to the family before they even filed suit. Any sort of civil suit, which so many people talk about in once criminal cases are done with, okay, that if the money was paid out, millions of dollars, clearly, as you said, someone in authority saw that there was a major issue with this video. You've got to answer this question that I'm sure is on many people's minds and hearts right now. How come Officer Jason Van Dyke had not been punished, even though the video had been seen by clearly the police commissioner, we know that, and, and others in authority and high-ranking dealing with the city of Chicago. If the mayor saw it or not, that's up for debate. There are people that have their own opinion about that, of course. But how can millions have been paid? This video had been seen, and from my understanding, this guy, this officer, had not even been suspended. Is that right? At that time, yes, that's right. That's how can that be and, in the United? And, oh, you know, it's a different threshold. Okay. It is the, it, it's the. I'm just giving an explanation. I'm yes. not saying it's it's right. Okay. How it can happen that the officer is not being punished, but yet a settlement can be reached? The settlement is between the the city and the family. Okay. It's not between Van Dyke and the family. Yes. The settlement is acknowledging that, you know, it, it, I mean, we're, we're not privy to the details, at least I haven't seen the details of the settlement, although when settlements are made using public funds, they're not confidential the way settlements are between private parties. Okay. Because this is taxpayer money being paid, generally taxpayers have a right, you know, the public has a right to know the terms of it. I just personally don't know the terms of that settlement. However, it, it, it probably acknowledges there was wrongdoing on the part of the police department, meaning Van Dyke, um, but it's not money coming out of his pocket. Okay. 
So there are other ways for um, the, the, the justice system to, to deal with Van Dyke. One is internally in the police department, administratively, and I think there, there was something done to him administratively, internally, but not in the criminal justice system. Okay. And, you know, Anita Alvarez, is that the name of the district yes. attorney? the prosecutor, yes. Right. I mean, that, the question is for her, like, what? She, this, this was had to have been known by her. Why wasn't there any action taken? That, you know, that I can't tell you. I mean, it's a discretionary mm -hmm. decision with uh, district attorneys when to charge, what to charge, whether to charge, and uh, the decision to present his, his case, I guess, to the grand jury, and, and indict him came on the eve of the release of the video. There's so many questions here. Um, obviously, like you're saying, that the charges brought forward towards him came on the eve of the video release. Clearly, they knew it was going to be released. They knew that mainstream media would get a hold of it. You know, uh, it, it's so many questions with this case, and we're happy to have, of course, with us, great legal mind. Beth Karras is on with us. Um, obviously, she has a lot of experience with the law. She was a prosecutor herself in New York. York for years. You know, Beth, what's next legally? Talk us through what's next legally for Officer Van Dyke. I understand there was a bail uh, that he was given. He made bail. And I guess the thing that came in my mind, the bail, from my understanding, was at least a million dollars, and he made bail. How many police officers can make bail at $1 million, Beth? Well, yeah, he's a police officer, so he has an organization behind him. Okay. Probably, um, you know, people willing to put up some assets to, to help him. He's, you know, he has ties to the community. He's not a flight risk. You know, bail is, bail is not to punish someone. We do not have what's called pretrial detention in this country. Well, okay. we shouldn't, although I take that back. We actually do when people can't. You know, people can't pay fines and stuff, you know, because yeah. before they do get detained, and that's unfair. But, in, but theoretically, bail is just to ensure a person's appearance at okay. proceedings and at trial should there be a trial. It is not, it's not punishment. So, but you set it high enough so that if they skip the jurisdiction, they're going to feel the bite of, um, uh, you know, a financial bite because they forfeit that money. Yeah. And uh, he's got ties to the community. I and mean, this is a police officer um, who is entrenched in that community. And he's known. And he's, he, you know, he's not a flight risk. That's the bottom line. So people who have bail set, it's at, a, at an amount that is going to keep them in the area, make sure that they're going to show up in court, and uh, and and they, you know, it's going to hurt them if they miss a court date and forfeit the money. Okay, so I'm not so surprised that he made bail. Uh, what what next? They're going to start moving into the, all the pretrial stuff. Okay. Uh, the motions that the lawyers will file. There'll be you know motions to suppress evidence, maybe. There'll yeah. be you know motions in limine to get evidentiary rulings in advance of trial. I thought that I read his lawyer said that they would uh, that they that they're going to go to trial. That there's a defense okay. here. So I don't know. I mean, this is lawyer who was quoted in um, a recent article that I read saying that all of these police officer accounts that seem to vary from what the video shows are explainable because people are standing in different places and seeing things from a different perspective. That's a little bit of an explanation, but uh, I don't know. 
I think the stories are so different in the reports versus what the video shows that I don't know uh, how, how believable that will be. You know, I do. I, I have heard his defense attorney talking about Officer Jason Van Dyke out of Chicago. Of course, he was seen on video putting several fatal bullets into the 17-year-old uh, Laquan McDonald. Many of you have seen it in the papers. You saw the video yourself. You know, Beth, his lawyer said he feared for his life. That's what he said. Now, I, I, I'm not in the mind of Officer Van Dyke. Um, I'm not in the mind of his attorney. I know attorneys, uh, there are a lot of good attorneys like you out there. Um, attorneys are human beings also, with that being said. And, of course, he's hired to uh, bring a defense for his client. But you and I have heard this before, the Walter Scott shooting, where the gentleman was fleeing. Remember, his lawyer is saying he feared for his life. Uh, Beth, as a lawyer, as a human being, uh, do you buy that? You know, I don't know what's going on in their minds. However, I can tell you that when lawyers are putting stuff out there, sometimes they're just, you know, they're spinning a little bit. You know, they're just, you know, they're, they're putting out a story. They don't, you know, they, they, they want to start influencing the potential jury pool. Maybe that's what's happening here. But he, he's putting out, you know, a defense. He's putting out an explanation okay. by itself. And, and the charge they're giving Officer Van Dyke is murder. Oh, yes. So not manslaughter, but murder. And in first degree, I'm assuming, Beth? Yeah, I think it's first degree, yes. Okay, wow. Tell me this. You mentioned this a few minutes ago. The officer stories are varying. Will there be any steps possibly legally towards them once, I guess, all of this is cleared with Van Dyke, once they finish with him? Is it a possibility the prosecutor could come after them? Yes, there is a possibility, but it's too early to tell. It depends upon what the, the investigation shows, and we're not privy to that. Okay. But uh, the fact that these officers said the things they said in the report is probably a reason why nothing happened to Van Dyke because it was found to be um, uh, reasonable action on the part of the officer or justified. Doesn't, it doesn't explain why there was a multi-million dollar settlement, however. But it could, or the video that was still out there that they thought saw. But it could be an explanation for why no further action was taken against Van Dyke. Um, but obstruction of justice would be a possible crime if okay. it's found that they deliberately made misrepresentations in the report to protect Van Dyke. It is Tuesday night, and you are listening to your national award-winning family radio talk show, Let's Talk America. We are spotlighting the recent high-profile cases of Chicago and Baltimore and so much more. I am no expert. I'm not a Shana, but Beth Karras is on with us, and she has uh, many years in the legal system here in the U.S. Beth, tell us this. Will the federal government likely step in? Because from my understanding, the state attorney's office has, has sent official documents or requests to the U.S. government uh, saying they want uh, help or assistance in this investigation, correct? Yes, and um, the federal government, I believe, is stepping in, and they, and actually they should, and a, and a lot of these officer shootings that are making uh, the news around the country. Uh, the federal government, we see, did step in in Ferguson, uh, did step in in Baltimore, uh, and I believe is stepping in in Chicago, and should. It's the Civil Rights Division. Okay. Typically. All right. Now, the police commissioner has been dismissed, as you know. Uh, in your opinion, was it justified to dismiss him, or and does the buck stop with him? Well, it, it may be so. Superintendent, I think it's his title. Okay. Uh, 
Yeah, maybe so, because ultimately it's the leader of an organization like this who's got to uh, take the heat if some real egregious wrong uh, has occurred. And this was, um, you know, pretty upsetting to see that you know, no charges were brought against Van Dyke and, you know, some officers may have made misrepresentations in the reports, probably did. Um, and so, you know, somebody's got to take the fall beyond the officer who's been charged, uh, and it's the leader. You know, okay. it trickles down. The attitude trickles down. It's like we're not going to tolerate this. So I'm actually not surprised. I mean, the same thing when Bad was was dismissed in Baltimore after the riots, after Freddie Gray died. Okay. He was actually a little surprised that, that he uh, got let go. But I, I understand, you know, the um, government leaders just want some new blood, and they want to show that they are responding to the public's, um, you know, demand that there be changes. You know, I if I want to I want to paraphrase because I don't want to quote him uh, verbatim because I couldn't recall verbatim what he said. But the mayor of Chicago uh, said that um, the police superintendent, if you will, um, had become a distraction for the case and not a part of the solution. Um, if that's true, should others be held accountable, Beth? Because it's going to be difficult for some people to listen to you and to follow this case and say, well, the buck stops and let's just uh, blame the uh, police superintendent and that's it. Um, because you know there are some individuals, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but I'm just pointing out facts as a journalist, that there are some people wanting to hold the mayor accountable for this. Because from my understanding, this video uh, or, or the actual shooting took place right before an election, and they're saying now that the election has taken place and he's won again a re-election bid, that now the video is out. Uh, do you think maybe the mayor's office was involved or uh, there others? Mayor Emanuel is denying that that the not releasing the video you know, until later had nothing to do with his his election, a real okay. election. Uh, yes, that's what he's I, claiming. You know, obviously, he's denying it. Uh, it does seem, you know, the timing does seem to be a little bit suspicious. Had it come out before, maybe he wouldn't have won re-election. I don't know yeah. how the votes, you know, his voters break down in Chicago and who his supporters are. But I think that there's a good argument to be made that he's like, this cannot surface until after the election. I cannot, you know, I cannot have, you know, this mark on my record uh, until after the election. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Wow. And if he's claiming that he didn't know of the footage, or the, is that right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Well, he said he didn't see it. I'm not sure he didn't know of it. He said he didn't see it. Maybe okay. Maybe he didn't know of it, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it. If there's a shooting like that, you know, it seems like you would want to know everything and at least learned about its existence. But he says he didn't see it, and that, that might be the truth. Beth would have been told the description of it, though. Okay, okay. You know, Beth, uh, let's go full circle. I know if we had a, a, a magical ball, uh, lots of things would come from it. But if you could guess or make an educated prediction right now, as an attorney with lots of years of experience um, on defense side and prosecution side, do you think Officer Van Dyke will be convicted of murder? I mean, I, 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 I would think he'll be convicted of something. Okay. Some level of homicide, right? I mean, some level of homicide, okay. manslaughter up to murder. 
homicide meaning, you know, death at the hands of another. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 I don't know what the jury will look like. I'm not sure, you know, what he's going to say on the stand. I'm not sure if he's going to say I was having flashbacks to having had a gun uh, or a knife held, held at me. Okay. And, you know, I, I, I reacted too quickly, and I just, I just couldn't stop, and maybe it'll be manslaughter. You know, I have okay. no idea. Um, but just from what we know, just looking at that video, it seems like, He's got to be held responsible at, at some level. Okay. You know, it's so early, and I have seen, you know, I, I, I just can't predict what jurors are going to do. I've okay. kinds of results. I, I mean, on a totally different factual scenario, I just never thought Casey Anthony would be acquitted of not, yes. not, not reporting her baby missing for 30 days. Yeah. Not even child neglect she's convicted of, not even child neglect. So That was a shock to many, and many yeah, remember that case very well. Yeah, I've seen jurors do, you know, weird things. Wow. You know, uh, tell me this, though. Is there a possibility, because we saw it in Baltimore, and we're going to go to Baltimore case um, in a few seconds, but do you think, and it failed in Baltimore, the request, but do you think that his defense attorney, talking about Officer Jason Van Dyke, do you think he will request a change of venue for this trial? Because after all, not just Chicagoans, but everyone around this nation uh, has an opinion, most people, about what happened. Do you think they'll try to get another location? Yes. Okay. I would be surprised if if, uh, his lawyers don't. Okay. And do you think it's a possibility or it just depends on the judge? It's hard. It's hard to get a change of venue. It does happen, but it's hard. And many times judges will say, well, let's at least try to get a jury, and if we can't, I'll entertain the motion again. Okay. But it's a real hardship on the community to move, to up and move. You've got to move your witnesses. The lawyers have to relocate. Sometimes there's a hybrid solution, which is go pick a jury in another jurisdiction. Yes. And it's, it's sometimes cheaper just to house the jury in a hotel. Okay. And then... Uh, pulling up stakes for the prosecutors, the defense team, and and transporting all the witnesses in mm. to another jurisdiction. Wow. We're going to continue to follow the case of the shooting death of, once again, 17-year-old Laquan McDonald uh, with Beth. We're going to have you back on. Uh, right now, we want to turn our sights to another highly profile case, the death of Freddie Gray out of Baltimore. Uh, many remembered six police officers had been accused um, of his death in some shape or form, negligence or um, I know there are different individuals involved, from a driver to who arrested him and put the cuffs on him. I know um, Officer William G. Porter's trial is coming up now. He's the first officer uh, to go to trial as they're preparing. Um, Beth, I know they've picked the jury. That has been done. Um, and they're getting ready for this this huge deal because the world is going to be watching this. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out for other communities. But where are we right now in Baltimore? Well, after the first week, and the, the last week the jury, the jury was selected in two days, and then uh, it was finalized last Wednesday, with, and then opening statements and one witness and police procedure testified, and then over Thursday and Friday of last week, and at least ten more witnesses testified. So um, the prosecution is motoring along. The judge had told the jury that the case would be finished by December 17th, wow. and it appears that they're on schedule. It meets five days a week, and it, they work full days. There's no camera in the courtroom. Okay. Cannot tweet or post on Facebook or blog live from the courtroom or the media overflow room either, where there's a closed-circuit camera set up so you can at least watch the proceedings okay. in the courtroom. Now, it is supposed to be the case that 
Officer Porter will testify in his own defense. So maybe that will be later this week. I'm not sure. Uh, but so far, jurors have heard a lot about police procedures. Yes. They've heard about the requirement that seatbelts um, be used for okay. uh, people who are arrested and they're, and they're in the back of a wagon. They've heard about Officer Porter's interrogation five days after Freddie Gray's arrest. Yes. He died seven days after his arrest. Okay. Five days into it, Porter was a, considered a witness. He was not considered a suspect. He was not somebody that the investigators were looking at to charge with a crime. Okay. And he did say that, um, you know, Freddie Gray was handcuffed but not shackled at his feet when he was originally put in the um, back of the wagon. And, by the way, it is the prosecution's position that Freddie Gray was not injured at the time he was placed in the van. Okay. Not injured at his arrest. The injury occurred while he was in the back of the van yes. by himself. Okay? So the theory is that he wasn't seatbelted, and then when he asked for medical help, they didn't get it right away. Okay. But it's too late in his brain. He already had the spinal injury yes. and his brain was swelling. I don't know if they could have saved him if they got a medical attention earlier, but if he was seatbelted, he, the theory is he never would have been injured that yes. way. Yes. You know, tell me this. What is Officer William G. Porter being accused of exactly? He's facing four crimes. One of them is involuntary manslaughter. Another one is second-degree assault. Both of them carry up to 10 years, although the second-degree assault is a misdemeanor, believe it or not, carrying okay. 10 years. He's also facing reckless endangerment. That's five years. And then another one, a uh, smaller crime, which is um, misconduct in office. Now, Bottom line is he was present Well, at the arrest of Freddie Gray. Yes. He actually ran after somebody else Freddie Gray was with, and okay. back, and Freddie Gray was being put in the, in the wagon. Okay. Not too much or anything. Then he was called to a stop when someone else was being put in the wagon and Freddie Gray was being shackled and he, and um, Gray asked for asked for help okay. and he thought he had seen Freddie in another another uh, time act up and fake being injured because a lot of times guys don't want to go down to the jail, they want to go to the hospital instead. Okay. They'll say they need medical help and this is what he thought was happening. Freddie was breathing and so he didn't and he didn't see Belton, but he, he I think he helped put him put him in. That was in a later stop. And then there's another st uh, stop where Sergeant Alicia White uh, tells Porter and another one, you better accompany him to the um, hospital. Uh, and I see. They, they, then they stop to pick up an inmate, another inmate, and they see he is like in bad shape. So they're like, oh boy, we got to get a medic fast. Oh, wow. So he's charged with being there along the way. Okay. He touches Gray at one point, doesn't seat belt him, and doesn't ask for medical attention. But by the way, one of the police um, procedure experts did say on cross-examination, he said, look, yes, I agree, it is unusual when there's an administrative code violation, failure to put on a seatbelt, that rises to the level of crim criminal conduct for somebody to be charged with a crime. It's unusual. You know, tell me this. I'm assuming there were no cameras inside of the van or the wagon that they haul off uh, suspects in? Correct. Wow. They're supposed to bring that wagon to the courthouse, by the way, down in the garage, and jurors are going to go take a look at it. They've seen photos, though. Okay. Do you think that from this or other circumstances around this country that there may be a possibility of putting some sort of camera in as a dash cam inside of the police's vehicle, or you don't think that's going to come from this? Well, you know, I guess there's always that possibility, but at some point we have to start trusting officers to do their jobs, right? We're already putting dash cams um, in, in, on their vehicles to see what they're doing outside their vehicle in front of it, uh, or dash cams on, yeah, or cameras on, on their body cameras. 
I mean, if we've got to constantly put them under surveillance, we're in bad shape, and it's going to have such a chilling effect on police officers. It already is having a chilling effect on them. Yes. People have absolutely every right, as long as they're not obstructing justice, to videotape what police are doing, and but police, you know, they're kind of scared sometimes to do what they have a lawful right to do because they're afraid that, you know, it's going to be misinterpreted or taken out of context. I'm not saying that cops aren't making mistakes. They absolutely are. Yes. But I think there are there are good cops out there who are afraid to do what they have a right to do because uh, they're like people they're looking over their shoulder. It's like is somebody gonna say that I'm doing something wrong? Well, I better just let it go. And maybe you know, maybe we're creating more victims out there by that. You know, here on Let's Talk America, we offer real talk for real people. And I like to think that we deliver the news in an objective way. And Beth, I have said this before, and I will echo it again. I believe, obviously, there are a lot of police officers who do their job and do it right. And they are assets to the community. But without um, stating the obvious, clearly there are some, and I want to believe they are very few and far between, but there are some who we know are bad seeds, if you will. And, and if we want proof, we can look at videos. And we know human beings will be human beings, with that being said also. Um, unfortunately, though, Beth, and, and I'm stating facts, um, that how some people feel. This is a fact that some people feel like this. That the, the, here is a gentleman or a woman, because we know in the Baltimore 6, there's a female involved, a female officer. It seems like that, though, when they are accused of being negligent, or criminal charges of, of, of bringing harm to people, be it emotionally, be it physically, that somehow that just epitomizes the worst of the worst because they took an oath to protect us, Beth. And I'm, and I'm not just talking about the cases we're reviewing tonight. I'm talking about cases in general where we've seen other things of police officers behaving very badly. You know, when it's all said and done, you're an attorney. Uh, you've seen both sides of it, defense and, and prosecution. But, Beth, where do the various communities go at this point? And I'm not just talking about African-American community or the Hispanic community. I'm talking about the Caucasian community too, Beth, because we have seen recent cases where there have been individuals of all races and ethnic groups made claims against police officers. And I say claims because, of course, some of it we may never have the ability to prove true, but what happens next as, as this nation tries to heal past a very volatile and dynamic point, if you will, with the relationship between police officers and human beings and people? Well, we can't keep dividing it. We have to come together, and we have to have dialogue, and we have to have more community relations, you know, more community policing and relations with our police officers on a good level, right? We can't consider the police the enemy. Yes. Uh, there are these civilian complaint review boards we have it in New York. There are, okay. There's those are equivalent uh, versions of them around the country where you go and you make a complaint if you feel an officer has uh, been excessive in in conduct towards you, whether it's, whether it's verbal or, you know, physical uh, conduct. But, you know, there, there just needs to be more dialogue. This is what Bill Bratton, who's the police commissioner in New York City, did so well in Los Angeles when he was there as police chief for a while running the LAPD. And he, he um, implemented a lot of uh, community policing and had a dialogue with, um, you know, a lot of communities where there was gang violence. And okay. he really did help um, the crime stats go down. Okay. And he helped people have more of an understanding about the police, and the police have more of an understanding about the communities they, yes. were, they were protecting. So he, was, is a, he knows 
and people need to adopt more of what, what uh, okay. Rattan was doing in Los Angeles. So it can be done, and we know that. And again, I want to emphasize this because we have law enforcement officers that listen to this show. Um, I continue to believe um, that a lot of them and majority of them uh, do the right thing. And you know what, Beth, I, and I can say this. I mean, if, when people feel they are being threatened or they're in harm, they still call 911 because a lot of them believe in law enforcement in this country. And, and I just hope it continues to go that way and we have less of these situations where it it appears very clearly that there are some, very few, but there are officers out there not doing the right thing. Um, Beth, tell me this, though. William G. Porter, the first officer in the Baltimore Six, he's the first to go to trial. Why was he chosen to be the first? Because it doesn't sound like his the, the allegations or the, the crime they have or the um, criminal charges against him are the most drastic. We know it seems like the other ones that are scheduled to come up, it kept, sort of gets worse and worse. Why was he chosen first? Because his were not as major? Is that possible? a possibility? Well, I think that that possibility is possible that the prosecutor was hoping to flip him and make him a witness, which didn't obviously happen. But she did say, and this is Marilyn Mosby's office, she did say that he's basically a witness for two others to follow, and I'm not sure which two others. So that means that, um, you know, uh, that some of the evidence that's being introduced at his trial will be introduced at subsequent trial. Okay. Maybe Porter will end up testifying. I'm not sure he can be compelled to testify. It depends upon what happens. If he gets acquitted, he can be compelled to testify. Okay. Okay. But uh, the prosecutor's office sees that some of the evidence coming out of Porter's trial will be useful in subsequent trials. Um, yeah, and the driver, the most serious of all charges, murder, is coming up in January. Oh, so back to back. Yeah, there's like six trials coming up, like one a month. Wow. So they're coming up back to back. And, and I guess when it's all said and done, uh, there is a possibility you think that, I mean, and I guess we just don't know, but that Officer Porter could be acquitted of everything? Well, I think that there's a, there's a possibility of um, all kinds of mixed verdicts here. Okay. Because, you know, everybody is charged with, well, some, they're charged with similar crimes. I mean, only one is charged with, with murder, though, yeah. but you know, everybody's charged with assault in the second degree, for example. But everybody was, like, in different places and doing different things, and there were various locations. And um, and, and what I, I think is the biggest hurdle for the prosecution is taking what, to me, looks like a civil wrong and an administrative wrong and making a crime out of it. Okay. That's going to be a big hurdle for the state. But because the venue didn't change, that's going to, you know, that's helpful for the prosecution. But this is like, you know, not every wrong is a crime. You know, you want people to okay. pay, but not every wrong is a crime. And I'm glad you said what you said about police officers because I'm a big law enforcement person. Yes. And I, I think that being a police officer is one of the noblest professions. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, in this case, is not a, uh, a Chicago case, all right, okay. the Baltimore case. This is different. Nobody punched him, kicked him, shot him, See, stabbed yeah. him. Nobody did that for you. They are charged with not putting a seatbelt on okay. him. Charged with manslaughter and murder for not putting a seatbelt on him. You're listening to your medical attention sooner. Yes, which, and I guess ultimately is neglect, right, Beth? Is that the yeah. proper term? It's a negligent standard. It's a negligent standard, but they're criminalizing it. The prosecutor said she did a thorough investigation, and she announced it about... 11 days after Freddie Gray died. She said it was a thorough investigation. Well, really? Ferguson, Missouri, it was months. Staten Island, Eric Garner's death, it was months. Grand jury 
you know, all sorts of witnesses testifying under oh, Those were thorough investigations. Marilyn Mosley announced it in days. You know, Beth, I want to talk about that. And obviously we know Mayor Mosley, um, who is the prosecutor, and I, I believe her husband is an, uh, an elected official on city council in the city right. of Baltimore. Uh, but I want to talk about what you just brought up, that she did it um, a little over 10 days. And when you talk about uh, Ferguson, Missouri, okay, when we talk about Eric Gardner in New York, Beth, the fact that it did, uh, in, in your opinion, you say it was a thorough investigation, but I'm going to tell you what uh, some people who are not in law will say. Why is it taking so long for what seems to be very obvious to people? And we know, and a lot of people aren't lawyers like you, they, and they understand that. But, Beth, when people look at videos of Walter Scott, and Eric Garner, uh, and those may be ones that obviously are a little different in nature um, from Michael Brown for some people. Uh, Beth, they're going to say, but does it take months to see that somebody was killed unfairly or unjustifiably? Because I think that's a part of the tension that community members are having with law enforcement and authority when they're saying they're taking months to do what? You know, I think they're taking months to talk to people who are there. Okay. Now, the videos, it, the videos seem to seem to say it all. But you know, I was just with an assistant DA yeah. in Manhattan, not Staten Island, the okay. other day, who told me that she actually saw more of the video. What okay. saw is just the very end of it, and the police were talking to him and trying to get him to stop saying, "This is Eric Bryant." Yes. And okay. There was quite a quite a um, non-confrontational exchange. Yes. That video just it, it's it's part of the record, but it didn't get released. Yes. So you know we don't know everything that they know, and they're not releasing the grand jury. Uh, testimony in Staten Island the way they did in Missouri. Okay. People could understand why the grand jury chose not to vote a true bill or an indictment. They're not doing that in Staten Island. Both of those cases ended up in no criminal charges. Okay. Even though I'm told that the that the um, then Staten Island DA, who's now a congressman, was surprised that no charges were filed against Pantaleo was the name of the officer. But, you know, they're they're talking to they're talking to witnesses. I see that, that try to – so I guess, in all fairness, the authorities are trying to do their job. I do want to – you mentioned Eric Garner, and I know you said there was someone who saw an extended version. And I think uh, there are different clips that people have seen. And, and from my understanding, I could see that the officers were trying to talk to him. I guess, Beth, though and, – and, of course, I'm not a legal person, but I'm offering a perspective of, yes, we know, and, and it could have been 20 minutes, 10 minutes, or an hour. We're talking about a human being. They were trying to talk him from Stop Selling Lucy's or single cigarettes, he said, hey, I'm not doing anything, and, and if he felt he was doing anything or not, obviously that was his opinion. But I guess Beth was saying he was choked to death for selling single cigarettes? Well, you got me there. You're preaching to the choir there. So I, I, I'm, like, not disputing that. I, I agree. And, and he, you know, it seemed to be a little rough to me. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, and you know, I haven't seen the grand jury, so I don't know. I don't know everything that the grand jury well, saw. Will we ever see but, what came from the grand jury? Will we see that in Staten Island? It's not, it's not a matter of public record, and so we may never see it. What, so a journalist can't request that? And oh. Since, oh, wow. Oh, state law. 
Wow, interesting fact. Let's talk America. We're spotlighting recent high-profile cases. Beth, I want to turn right back to Baltimore before you get out of here, because, you know, we could talk all day about so many cases that affect the various communities. You know, what do we know anything about the jury makeup in Baltimore for the first officer? Of those? Let me start on that, Shana. I'm outraged at the way the, jur- the judge selected the jury. Okay. No, we know almost nothing. He did almost all the jury what dear or questioning behind closed doors, not open to the public. What we do know is that there are eight women and, and uh, four men. We do know that uh, the, the, the racial breakdown is eight black, four white. Okay. For the women, it's, it's five black women and, and three white women, and then three black men and one white man. Uh, that's, what, that's all we know. Wow. And the ages, well, I know that at least... I don't want to say the number, or over 50, at least five or over 50, maybe a little bit more. Okay. So, and, and, that's, and that's just by, by uh, looking at them. Okay, so we're going by just guessing on that. Let me ask you this. So I know the judge has a lot of uh, influence on that, but I'm assuming like a lot of trials, the prosecution and the defense go back and forth about if a jury uh, member is appropriate. Yeah, so they only have four peremptory strikes, meaning that they could, you know, excuse a person without having to state a reason whatsoever, only four, okay. which is, to me, not that much. We used to get three in New York for misdemeanors. Yes. I, I would have thought they'd have eight to ten each, but they didn't. Uh, but I can't tell you because the judge did it behind closed doors, and I... I think that, you know, somebody should have made a motion to, you know, at least have a pool reporter present, but nobody did. I would have raised a stink if I were present, but nobody seemed to uh, do that. Do we know anything about the judge who will be over this case? Yeah, the judge, um, Williams is his last name, is a former prosecutor in that office, and then he went on to the U.S. Justice Department Civil Rights Division, okay. uh, where he prosecuted police for some years, okay. and, um, and then took the bench. So... Um, he's, you know, he, he's known to be a fair judge. Okay. Uh, probably pretty well suited since he knows what it's like to prosecute police. I see. So, okay, so he will be the one, uh, Judge Williams, over this case. Beth, we were going to continue to keep our eyes on Baltimore, a very high-profile case. Of course, um, Officer Porter is the first of six, so this case is going to play itself out into 2016. Uh, before you leave us, I want to talk about another high-profile situation, if you will, that has been going on um, over several decades. I'm talking about Bill Cosby, Beth. Um, I had just recently read that his wife, will be questioned. Do you know anything about this case? And after all of these years, I guess they can still question his wife about what she knew? Well, um, actually, I haven't been reading up on Bill lately, but I'm certainly familiar with the cases. I didn't realize his wife was going to be questioned. She cannot talk about, uh, she can talk about, I guess, things she knew, but she cannot talk about communications with them because there is a marital privilege. Okay. So she can't talk about anything that he told her. Um, But Maybe they will be using her to just corroborate that there were times when he was away from home, which is consistent with some, you know, uh, some of these women saying, "Well, I was in Florida, or I was in Philadelphia, or I was in New York, or, or whatever," and and maybe she she can, you know, corroborate certain things. But I hadn't heard that, but I hadn't been researching it. Okay. You there, Shana? You gave me some topics. You didn't <laughs> Hey, you're such a brilliant mind. But I want to ask you this, going back to Bill Cosby. You know there have been numerous allegations of um, his uh, date rape behavior, if you will, or alleged date rape behavior, if you will. But we've seen uh, no criminal uh, action taken. We know there have been settlements. 
um, that he has paid, right? And I think you mentioned at the top of the hour, private settlements um, don't have to be released to the public of what details are involved. Is there a possibility that one of the women, the alleged victims, could actually get criminal charges even though Beth, um, perhaps this uh, incident or the event could have taken place even 10 years or three decades ago? Well, it, there, is a, there is a criminal investigation in Los Angeles. Okay. Maybe, I think there will be a legal challenge to the statu statute of limitations of what you're talking about, that it's expired in um, yes. almost every, every place uh, because these incidents went back so many years, and you have X number of years to bring charges from the time it happened. Uh, but, you know, you can't bring charges unless somebody tells you about it, and these women okay. didn't come forward until, you know, decade or more later. So, I mean, there's the one case uh, in L.A., I think it might be a 2008 allegation, and, and the woman might have been just underage, and the law yes. has been changing since the Catholic Church scandals. Okay. They started changing statute of limitations for minors coming forward when they're adults. Yes. You know, you kind of get a break in a little more time. So that may cause one case to be prosecutable as a criminal case, but there'll be a lot of legal wrangling, I'm sure, regarding that. And Beth, am I wrong? So there, even for murder or rape, there is a statute of limitation? Murder. There's no statute of limitations for murder. Okay, but rape. All the, all the other crimes, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, most states, every other crime, yeah. Wow, interesting fact. And, of course, ultimately, before you leave us um, in the news, um, everyone knows about the uh, unfortunate and, and very sad and disheartening uh, mass shooting in uh, San Bernardino, California. Um, Beth, it, it seems like the two shooters, uh, the individuals who did this horrific crime, are dead with a brutal shootout uh, with the police there in that area. Right now, uh, it's seemingly the family, uh, and, and, and clearly I want to believe them, they're saying they didn't know anything about them doing this. This was a shock to them. Um, you know, the, the man that was involved, the 29-year-old, he married this woman, and seems like perhaps some, from what I'm hearing, she sort of radicalized him um, to hate his nation where he is in the United States. But Beth, if, and, and, I, and I say if, because God forbid the family did know, but if it comes out that family and friends, one or two, happen to have known um, that he was talking uh, very radical, or like Roof, going, Dylan Roof, going back to South Carolina, he had told a friend that he was going to do some, something really bad to people. If this is known, could there be any legal ramifications or anything legal happen to the family or friend member if they knew? And of course, I'm not saying anyone does. I don't have any knowledge of that. But I'm saying as this investigation goes on, because we're in the early stages, could someone be held um, accountable in the eye of the law if they knew? Just for knowledge, probably not. Okay. That take some action to um, to move to move their conduct forward. I you know, see. Help them obtain guns. Oh, I see. Uh, okay. If were illegal, but I, I, you know, I think the guns were from most of them were obtained legally, I believe. Yeah. Uh, or yes. something to to further uh, their plan, but probably just the the sheer knowledge, probably not. Wow. I mean, probably. I don't, don't, don't hold me to it. Okay. I'm wrong, but it doesn't sound to me like just the knowledge is enough. Yes, I know they're early in investigation there. Well, Beth Karras, it's always an honor and a pleasure to speak with you and pick your brain on so much that you do know. Uh, we covered, of course, tonight on Let's Talk America, the high-profile shooting of Laquan McDonald. Also, the Freddie Gray case, the first police officer, William G. Porter, um, will be going on trial in days, so do uh, pay attention to that. We'll follow back up with that. But, Beth, before you leave us, What's going on with you? I know you've got some great innovative um, action items going on with you yourself. 
Well, I continue to reinvent myself. I'm operating a subscription website, wow. HarrisOnCrime.com. Cool. And uh, on my website, I put all kinds of court documents up. I shoot videos of myself doing legal analysis, answering questions, sort of blabbing into the camera. Like, <laughs> uh, I do podcast interviews with a lot of people, yes. from um, ex-cons to crime victims. Wow. There's true crime authors, all kinds of people. I have uh, an interview with Jody Arias' attorney. It's an hour-long interview on my podcast. Wow. I try to inform and educate. I tell my members, uh, $5.99 a month, I tell them when you're spending five minutes or two hours on my site, I want you to come away feeling a little bit more informed about how the justice system works. Wow. And because of the justice system is very important to us here in the U.S. Uh, Beth, give us your website if they want to actually connect with you or visit um, the new uh, interactive you know, site that you have where you're interviewing really uh, interesting and intriguing people. It's called it's KarisOnCrime.com. So it's my last name, K-A-R-A-S, OnCrime.com. You subscribe there. There's a little sneak peek, but there's some of the material is a little old. I do have BethKaris.com. That's my personal site. Okay. I'll give you a little background. It's my resume. So. Wow. Well, thank you for joining us. You've got to come back on. We always enjoy chatting with you. You're one of our favorites and one of our most popular and highly demanded featured guests here on LTA Radio. Well, thank you, Shana. I feel like um, you're a friend now. <laughs> We're friends, Beth. We're friends. Yeah. It's always good to know a good lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Have a great one. Happy holidays. Same to you. This is the DJ Nicholas, Gospel Radio from Kingston, Jamaica. And you're listening to Let's Talk America. Keep it locked. What a great conversation with the one and only legal mind, Beth Karras. Well, we are not done yet. Just a few more minutes. Join me right now as I speak with a renowned surgeon who will walk us through dealing with pain after surgery. Do stick with us. This conversation matters. Hi, this is Shirley, and we just love listening to Let's Talk America with host Shana Thorpe. Hi, my name is Kavarga, and I listen to Let's Talk America. Hi, my name is Nicole Dodd, and I'm tuning in every Tuesday at 730 to Let's Talk America with host Shana Thornton. This is Audrey, and I'm listening to Let's Talk America with Shana Thornton. This is such an awesome show. If you're not connected, you really need to be. Listeners of your national award-winning family radio talk show, Let's Talk America, it's Tuesday night, and we are talking about your health because it matters. Now, you should know that narcotic addiction is not just a problem on the streets. In fact, research indicates that every year, 70 million patients will receive narcotics following surgery at a hospital or clinic. Now, 1 in 15 will become long-term users. According to the CDC, right based right here in Atlanta, of course, prescription painkiller abuse is a growing epidemic, especially among women, and a new national survey sheds light on what may be a contributing factor. Uh, Joining us right now, alive, we have with us, uh, she's working with the new voice, uh, excuse me, new Voice Your Choice campaign, uh, is noted uh, surgeon, Dr. Krista Funk. How are you doing this Tuesday night? I'm great. Good evening, Shana. Good evening. Thank you for being with us. It's such an honor. We have to get right to this because this is a serious matter, but it's one that affects families everywhere. What are why are so many more people, especially females, which is shocking to a lot of people I know, becoming addicted to prescription painkillers, doctor? Well, you know, healthywomen.org conducted a survey to answer this exact question, and over 700 women went to their site who had had surgery within the last 10 years and answered some questions about their narcotic use and attitudes. And what they found out is extremely revealing. 
So 90% of the women said, yes, I, I know that narcotics lead to addiction, and yet 80% of them still took the drug. Oh, wow. And furthermore, basically every respondent said, you know, I'd like to have a voice and a say in what pain management we're using after surgery, but over 70% of them never said a thing to their doctors about it. So okay. this is the revealing part. We need to communicate. Patients need to be their own advocates. They need to tell their doctors yes. that they have concerns about the pain management and they want to be part of the conversation. Now, Dr. Funky, that's interesting. So, I mean, I just want to be clear. Are you saying you think that's what's fueling the national epidemic of drug use or, you know, illegally using drugs, even though it's prescription drugs, they're illegally using them because at this point it's addiction? Right. In part, I think that it's fueled by the unnecessary use of narcotics. Okay. There's a whole barrage of non-narcotic things that you can do prior, during, and after surgery to reduce the need or eliminate the need for narcotics. So one in 15 people who uses post-op narcotics okay. become addicted. And if you never wow. start, then you don't have an addiction problem. Now, I'm thinking of being in the hospital myself at some point and family and friends, and I will often hear the registered nurse say, on a level from uh, 0 to 10, what's your pain level? Um, it, would it be safe to assume that maybe men, women everywhere are not being as sincere or as upfront as possible when they're being asked about their pain level? I think that overestimating your pain level um is probably not the root of the problem. First of all, people are in pain after surgery. Okay. So we, we like to use a multimodal approach to therapy, and what that simply means is we use pain medications before, during, and after surgery that aren't narcotic-based. They're pills and they're IV drugs, and during surgery, we actually inject a long-acting local anesthetic. Okay. Today. So if you do all of those things and then you're asked, hey, one to ten, where's your pain? Whereas without those interventions, it might be a seven or eight. With them, it's a two to three. So they say, oh, okay. hey, we can just use ibuprofen instead of a Percocet. Okay. Wow. You know, what can we do? to prevent or cut down all this happening? Because as you said so eloquently, Dr. Funk, uh, it's complex. It's complicated. And to a certain degree, I'm sure, like you said, for some patients, it's um, being a part of their own care and speaking up. Um, but you know and I know that that continues to be an issue in the medical world, not just after surgery, even going in for annual PAPs or, I, I mean, annual blood work. Patients will often not say anything or say, let's look at the opposite approach, Dr. Funk, I've known people who told me they had a pain in their leg for months. They go to the doctor and have told me I didn't want to really seem like a complainer, so they didn't even mention it or downplay it to doctors. This isn't easy to fix. How do we do it? Well, that's what the Voice of Choice campaign is all about. It's on healthywomen.org. They have a whole section under pain control that talks about how to talk to your doctor. Okay. I think I would encourage women to realize Physicians are here to help you through your medical situation. They are not going to be offended or okay. by your questions. So ask the question. Okay, that, and that's powerful because I think the next question for me was why do you think the conversations aren't happening? I, I do think that sometimes, if you will, uh, non-medical individuals, that being myself or everyone, most of uh, communities out there, that they'll say, well, if I do that, maybe I'm being judged. Maybe they're going to think that's a silly, stupid question. And would you verify with us right now, Dr. Folks, that there's no such question when it comes to your health as a stupid question? 
I verify. There is no okay. about your health that is considered stupid by your doctor. Okay, powerful. You know, is this a problem just for women? I know we're focusing on women because women right now are seem to be plagued with addiction and, and the issues uh, after surgery, but uh, does this affect men or are men a little more apt to speak up, you think? No, I think addiction, oh, you mean the, I think addiction is universal. Okay. Um, I think the inability to be forthcoming with your medical problems to get down to the answers and treatment is also men and women alike. Okay. And are vocal. Okay, and you would know certainly being a renowned surgeon. Um, as you pointed out, sometimes uh, patients find it challenging uh, to speak to doctors, uh, sometimes especially the surgeon, no offense to you, Dr. Funk, uh, before that procedure. Often people are nervous. They're a little fearful of, you know, getting, getting put to sleep and, you know, obviously having the procedure done. From your professional experience, you've had a lot of it, success, of course. Any advice on how to make sure we aren't getting um, narcotics that we don't necessarily need, um, I mean, when we have this conversation with that very important surgeon? My advice is to have your questions ready, okay. write them down so in that moment you don't get forgetful or nervous, and just be empowered to know this is your life, and if you want to minimize or eliminate narcotic use because you don't want to feel loopy or constipated or just, okay. you know, crappy, basically, then voice that to your doctors. They won't be offended. Okay, voice that to your doctor. They won't be offended. Thank you, Dr. Funk, for joining us. And uh, for those out there uh, who may already find themselves in that position where they're saying, I think I'm using the Percocet more than I probably should. I haven't been honest about it. Maybe they're on the brink of addiction or maybe they're already addicted. Any words of hope for these individuals who've found themselves in trouble? Certainly. If you find yourself in trouble, there are organizations nationally to help you rid yourself of addiction, and there are medications that can transition you from narcotic to no pain medicine at all. Okay. Wow. And uh, this is on another note, but just want to bring it up. We recently did a segment on um, heroin use going up. And interesting enough, our medical guests there um, had a theory that they thought a lot of it was connected to painkillers um, and in a sense that some of those individuals have transitioned to the street drug heroin. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that transition is, is well known, and it depends on the accessibility of the drug, basically, where, wow. where your addiction will lead you. Uh, real talk for real people here on Let's Talk America Radio. Hey, Dr. Krista Funk, it's been an honor speaking with you. Before you leave us, where can our national and international listeners go for more information? HealthyWomen.org has plenty of information about pain control and how to avoid addiction. Thank you, Shana. Thank you so much, Dr. Funk. May we all stay as healthy as possible. Amen. <laughs> have a great one. <laughs> Are you looking for a family-based radio talk show that addresses the relevant issues and concerns of today? You have found the right option. Let's Talk America with host Shana Thornton is your award-winning radio talk show that's for every member of the family. We feature meaningful conversations each and every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Check out our brand-new website by visiting www.letstalkamericawithshanathornton.com. Let's Talk America with host Shana Thornton is talking Talk radio with substance. Tune in. 
listeners of your national award-winning family radio talk show, Let's Talk America. It is Tuesday night, and we are talking about genetics. Hey, have you ever wanted to know what you're really made of? Why are your eyes brown? Are you lactose intolerant? Are you a better sprinter or endurance athlete? Well, you don't need to have a Ph.D. or medical degree to necessarily find out. The first home genetic test recently authorized uh, to make by the FDA is here. It's on the market, and uh, it can tell you about your health, uh, more about your traits, and even more about your ancestry. Well, it's new. We have someone with us to talk all about it, about personal genetics. It's Dr. Emily Conley. She's with us. Uh, she's Vice President of 23andMe. How are you doing this Tuesday night, Doctor? I'm wonderful. How are you? I am well. I'm very intrigued by this topic. Now, why should someone be interested in taking a genetic test in 2015? You, know, you can learn so much information from your DNA, so there's a lot of benefits to genetic testing. You can learn everything from your ancestry to information about your health in terms of things you may pass on to a child or your propensity to have certain traits like lactose intolerance okay. likelihood of going bald. Wow, a lot of things. Some we want to know about, the likelihood of going bald, maybe we don't necessarily want to know about, but it all depends on the person, doctor. You know, genetics seems very complex, right? Uh, maybe not to you. Uh, you're a doctor, a scientist. Um, but for the average person, it can be. How can the average person listening to you right now uh, from Orangeburg, South Carolina, how can they use their DNA for good? This is one of the real benefits of doing a test like 23andMe is that you can do it from the comfort of home and all of your results are provided back to you online with all kinds of different tools to help understand this information because we do realize that genetics can be complicated and we've worked really hard in order to make that information really accessible so people can actually take this and really learn from it. Okay, how does it work necessarily? I mean, is it uh, a saliva? Do you take a sample of your saliva or hair? The process is really easy. So you just order, um, you order the test online, okay. and then you spit into a tube, so it is a saliva okay. And then we look at hundreds of thousands of points across your DNA, and then all of your results get uploaded into your own personalized online account. Oh, wow. Now, when you talk about personal online accounts, I have uh, listeners that have expressed this before um, with different organizations where glitches and things have happened. How do you protect a customer's privacy? Because we're not just talking about uh, something like finance that people are very concerned about, but, you know, Dr. Conley, we're talking about DNA, which is really the code to who they are. Absolutely. Privacy is something that that we take very seriously, and so we use state-of-the-art physical and technical barriers in order to protect all of our customers' data. And we really believe that your genetic information, it belongs to you, and so it should be up to you if you do want to share that information with your family or with a healthcare provider that we give you the power um, in, in order to do that. So it's really up to each individual. Now, when someone takes the test, they order the kit, they'll get it, they'll provide a sample of saliva, as you so eloquently said. Is it always necessarily the same um, results will come back, meaning can I order a separate line of testing for my sister? Over 60 different results, and everyone is tested for the same things, but your results, of course, are quite personalized. So even if both you and your sister do the test, your uh, DNA will be different than hers, and so you may have some different results. So what sort of uh, things do you necessarily screen for with this test? So we look at things 
um, like cystic fibrosis or sickle cell anemia. Okay. These are diseases that you can pass on to a yeah. Um, and we also look at different traits that you may have, so how likely you are to consume caffeine, whether you may be lactose intolerant, um, based on your genetics, if you're more likely to be a sprinter or an endurance athlete. And then we also look at different physical traits, so everything from what your genetics has to say about your eye color or whether you're likely to have curly hair or freckles. Wow. Uh, tell me this. What should someone do with the information? Um, if they uh, receive your results and they have something like sickle cell anemia, they have the trait, not the full-blown disease, because I would obviously think they would know that by a certain age, obviously. But um, if they have something else that seems to be very concerning to them. So certainly we, we encourage people to have questions about their genetic results to speak with a doctor or a genetic counselor. Okay, so go see that physician. You're saying certainly follow up. Uh, tell me this. This is all new to me. Um, I'm assuming that if I, if I do this test and it says that I have something, that it's pretty much um, understood by uh, the medical community, Dr. Conley, these results. I mean, I'm sure, in other words, will my physician look at this as valid or will they probably run another follow-up test? Yeah, you know, absolutely. So the, the, the 23andMe test um, does meet FDA standards, which is really terrific and important, so okay. it's a very robust test. Um, but for some things, your physician may want to follow up with additional testing. Uh, many of the things that we're looking at, um, you know, doctors will be very familiar with, with seeing these types of results. Uh, and we absolutely encourage people if they have questions, they can, they can talk with their doctor. But it is nice, I, I will say, to be able to do a test at home like this. Okay. That's so convenient where you can really find out a lot of information uh, from the convenience of your house. Wow. Uh, tell us more about yourself. Obviously, we've talked a lot about you. You're vice president of this company, innovative company, clearly it sounds like. What kind of research do you do? So my, my personal background is in neuroscience. I have a Ph.D. in neuroscience, and um, I've been with the company for uh, over five years now, and we've been doing research on lots of different topics, hundreds of diseases and conditions. So we look at how genetics relates to diseases like Parkinson's, breast cancer, even things like motion sickness. And we've actually made a lot of really exciting genetic discoveries that can help us better understand what may cause some of these diseases and conditions yeah. and hopefully will lead us to new treatments. So literally, Dr. Conley, we all can be wired different, right? I've heard physicians say some people are more prone to be motion sickness versus others. So it's just the wiring at birth or even perhaps maybe prior to birth. You know, you can actually really think of your DNA in some ways as a blueprint. So there's a lot of information in your genetics that really informs um, all kinds of things about your health and the way that you are in the world. And so while we can tell you a lot right now through the product that we have, um, there's still a whole lot that we want to understand. And so that's why we have a really strong research focus at the company as well. Wow. Before you leave us, um, there are those out there who um, may be searching for a relative that's, um, that was given up for adoption at birth. Um, obviously, before any of this testing was done, um, it may have been a closed adoption, and maybe the adopted child is trying to reach out and find siblings or cousins. Uh, can this test help someone in that situation? I actually think this is one of the, the really powerful things about 23andMe um, is that you can, we, we can actually determine if people are related um, that, have, that have done the 23andMe test. And oh, wow. We actually have many stories of people who were adopted or who knew very little about their family 
finding biological relatives and unlocking entire parts of their family tree that they didn't know existed before. Um, so it's a really powerful way for people to find out more information about their ancestry, um, and there's the potential through our DNA relatives feature to make these really powerful connections. Wow. So great information there all the way around. Uh, tell us this. You know, I've got someone listening in right now from Savannah, Georgia. When you talk about a test like this, it sounds intriguing. It sounds great. Oh, but will it break the bank, Dr. Conley? It won't break the bank. Um, it's important to us in order to be accessible. So you can purchase 23andMe for $199. Okay. All right. So less than 200 bucks. Where can our national and international listeners go for more information um, on all of this genetic testing option? To get more information, go to 23andme.com. 23andme.com. Thank you, Dr. Conley. We appreciate all of your help. Before you leave us, I love words of wisdom from our expert guests. Uh, for those who uh, have may have already been told by a physician or they'll discover something from this test that they don't want to hear um, and they may get fearful, afraid, uh, what would you suggest to do with the information being, of course, in this science field? I'm sure you would encourage them to try to go and see a medical physician as soon as possible to try to help the situation, right? Absolutely, and we would say that knowledge is power, and so there's a whole lot that we can learn about ourselves from our genetics. Wow. Thank you, and keep sharing all there is to know about our blueprint. Thanks, Shana. Congratulations on-air personality Shana Thornton on being named the recipient of the 2015 Bold Award in Human Dignity. Your journalistic work on spotlighting the leading topics and people of today makes a difference. Keep up the great work. Listeners of your national award-winning family radio talk show, Let's Talk America, with your host, Shana Thornton, the National Retail Federation says they expect the total amount spent on holiday shopping and giving this year to raise above $630 billion. Now, that is a 3.7% increase over last year's spending. So now, how can you stretch your buying budget this year so you still get great gifts for your family members and have a little bit of change afterwards because you have to live in 2016, of course. Well, right now I have with me the one and only Andrea Warwick. She is with us and a nationally recognized consumer and money-saving expert. She joins us tonight, this Tuesday night, to help us find money as we can have as much as possible. How are you doing this Tuesday night? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm wonderful. Yeah, Andrea, you say uh, we have money we don't know about. You have to explain what exactly does that mean. Right. Well, your home is oftentimes filled with items that you don't use, and you can turn all that clutter into cash. So consider clothing that you no longer wear. Maybe it's clothing that your kids have grown out of or sporting goods they no longer use. Even all those old gadgets. Okay. Trade all of those items. You can sell them online and get money to boost your holiday budget. In fact, I also read a recent survey that found that 37% of Americans who received gift cards last holiday season haven't used those. So wow. if you have any gift cards, look in your sock drawer, even in your wallet. Okay. Now is the time to exchange those. You can go to your local grocery store, find a bright yellow Coinstar Exchange kiosk, yes. trade those gifts gift cards instantly for cash. Wow. I mean, Coinstar Machine, the same one that many of us use for our kids' coins to turn into dollars? Yeah, well, actually, it's a new one. Okay. Different. It's the bright yellow one. All right. Just for gift cards. And then if you do have a jar full of coins, which I have at home, it's oftentimes 
filled with more money than you even know. Yes. You can exchange those at the green coin start fiat, as you just mentioned. And then you can even get a no-fee e-gift card and get that for Toys R Us or Amazon, and, and you can get a couple of gifts by shopping there. Wow. Of course, we have our consumer and money-saving expert, Andrea Work. She is on with us. Tell us this. What kind of extra expenses could come up that we don't typically think of beforehand? Well, every holiday season, and you might be familiar, I know I am, it's really easy to go over budget, overspend, and then what happens in January, we get the credit card bills in the mail, and we panic. We're okay. in a bad financial position. So it's important to look beyond the basic gifts and travel budget because there are a lot of hidden expenses. So all the postage for your holiday greeting cards, delivery fees for online purchases, extra babysitting services yes. for all the holiday parties you have to go to, and even the groceries for your guests that are visiting and all the holiday parties that you're throwing, that can really eat into your budget. So you want to think about all these expenses as you're coming up with a spending plan because you really shouldn't go into debt. You don't want to put yourself in that position. Now, let's talk about debt. Let's talk about money and the budget because uh, you know it's easier said than done, right? People say, well, this year I'm not going to go in the hole. I'm not going to enter the red, Andrea. But then they look at, like you said, that January, even perhaps February credit card bill or checking account and say, I'm empty. What exactly can someone do to try to stay within that budget as much as possible? And keep in mind, they have the kids, the grandkids, the nieces and nephews, they think they need to shop for and get that latest gift. Right. I think you bring up such a good point. It's important to look at your finances, look at your credit card bills, look at your bank account. I think visualizing how much money you have to spend will help prevent overspending when you realize you are already maybe carrying a little bit more credit card debt than you would want to. Okay. And then also, like I said, sell those items online. Maybe take a part-time retail gig. You could even go to TaskRabbit and yes. other people's errands for an hourly fee. Oh, wow. All these ways can boost your holiday budget so you don't have to rely on credit cards. And then also shop smart. So you can use a shop savvy app to compare prices. Okay. Store. There's also couponsherpa.com for mobile coupons or coupon codes when you're shopping online. And all these apps can help you save money on the purchases you have to make. And then... One other thing you brought up was all the kids, all the family members you have to buy for. Maybe you set up a secret Santa where you each just buy for one person instead of buying gifts for everyone. Okay, and that's smart to do. Now, tell me this. We talk about Real Talk for Real People on LTA Radio here, Andrea, but... You say do a secret Santa. Maybe you don't buy for every kid. Maybe you can pull names. Uh, Real talk, there are families where they have tried that, and families are like, no, I want every kid to have a gift. How can someone bring themselves to have honest conversations with loved ones and say, look, I simply can't afford to buy for every single kid in this family. We're going to have to find another way to make it work. Because it sounds great when you and I are talking on the radio and when we're on TV programs, but you know a lot of times aunts and uncles feel that guilt and go, I have to buy for every kid. Yeah, and I think the way you just said it is the best approach. Have a conversation, you know, be honest about your financial position. You'll be surprised that other people oftentimes do feel the same way. And then, you know, come up with other options and explain that, you know, the holidays aren't all about the gifts. It's just about spending time together, creating those special memories. 
Wow, I love it. Uh, tell me this before you leave us. You know the famous Black Friday is coming up that day after uh, Thanksgiving, and often now it starts on the day of Thanksgiving, uh, right around 4 or 5 p.m. Uh, from your perspective, you're a consumer uh, savings guru, is it worth the rush, the hype, to do all of the Black Friday shopping, even online or in stores? I'm not a big Black Friday shopper just because it oftentimes tempts me to overspend. Okay. It happened with a lot of shoppers. There are some doorbusters that are worth taking advantage of if you need those items, like an off-brand TV or a small kitchen appliance. Yes. If that's on your shopping list, shop online and don't even deal with the crowds. You'll find those same deals on the retailer's website. Okay, all right. Well, we're going to try to save as much money as possible this holiday season. Andrea, tell us where we can go, our uh, listeners, to find out more information about you or great saving tips. Right. Well, head over to Coinstar.com or AndreaWarrock.com where there's all that information I recently shared. Awesome. Thank you so much. Keep being an advocate for us to keep money in our pockets. Well, thank you. Take care. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I'm Latasha Matthews from Columbia, South Carolina. And I'm listening to Let's Talk America with Shana Thornton. Hi, I'm Nikki Smith. I'm in Dallas, Texas. And I love listening to Let's Talk America with Shana Thornton. I love the fact that it's a family-friendly show and it has great guests. It has great music submissions, and I think she's doing a wonderful job, and I will continue to support it. And I encourage you to as well. Thank you, and have a blessed day. Hey, how you doing? This is L Hustle from Detroit, Michigan. You're now tuning into the Let's Talk America with your host, Shannon Thornton. Hi, this is Carol from Atlanta, Georgia, and I listen to Let's Talk America with Shana Thornton. Well, everyone, that's going to be it for our featured conversations tonight. Thank you for sticking with Let's Talk America Radio, where we offer real talk for real people. This is news talk for everyone out there. Literally, we really mean that. Well, join us next Tuesday night, same time, same place, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But don't leave us yet. In a few seconds, in just a few seconds, we're going to feature some brand new, amazing music by the one and only musician, Terry V. In fact, the song has been named Amazing, okay? So do enjoy these tunes. It will take us home. Check out our website to see our upcoming show topics and featured guests. Again, that website is www.letstalkamerica with shanathornton.com. All right, everyone? We'll chat next week. Keep the conversation going. Make a difference in your community. All content original, copyright 2015 by Pageant & Thomas Enterprises, LLC.
you don't feel like you're beautiful But I'm here to let you know that you're amazing Girl, you're so on fire, you so hot, oh girl, you're blazing You gotta tell yourself that you are great You gotta celebrate yourself, congratulations Amazing, 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 amazing girl, you're so amazing. Now let me hear you 